I'm Tommy Beardmore. I'm Adam DiCarlo. And welcome to Before the Break, a podcast for actors by actors. Brought to you by Book It. It is morning here, and good afternoon to you, Adam. It is it is afternoon as of 33 minutes ago. Yes. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Um, hey, congrats on uh, the recent laurels. Congrats on um, oh, thanks. the awesome things happening for Skeletons. I'm going to be in New York. with. We just got into what? What was it? New York uh, shorts. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean. Um, can't say yet. <laughs> yeah, I can't Can say yet. that. We can't say it. No, it's not exclusive yet. news. Okay, all right. No, it's um, one of those. It's one of those emails. Like, hi, please say you accept all these terms, and if you do not, you will not be in this. So we need this, this, this and that. So then we can like officially accept you, and then blah 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 blah. Do not share <laughs> and this the, information. And then the, the, like, yeah, and then the fine print says, "Let's be honest, you're a filmmaker. You should be lucky to be in any festival. So we could tell you to walk around town naked, covered in mud, and you would do it." You're like, yes, no. sign here. <laughs> no. But it's in person. It's going to be in New York. It's very exciting. At a theater, I'd love to screen it. I will so it's going to be, be cool. there. I will be there. It just so happens that, yes, Natasha is going to do the marathon, so it just falls into place. Um, all right. Well, hey, I'm excited about today's guest. I'm excited yes. about today's show. Uh, today's guest is a trailblazer for Latin women. And let's face it, indie filmmakers in general based out of mexico city she is best known for her recurring role on the club on netflix and appearances on narcos mexico sobrevivi and larina soy yo her hit play diablo and romina won the georgia markov award uh, for the bbc's international radio and playwriting competition please welcome anna gonzalez bale hello hi anna hi so excited to be here Thank you for being here. We appreciate Thanks your time. Uh, you're in Mexico City right now, yes? I am. Okay. Do you travel a little bit, LA, New York, or are you just based in Mexico City and that's your home? Based in Mexico City. I would love to work in LA and New York, but maybe it's still not the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, all in good time. All in good time. So how, how are things right now in Mexico City in general with the industry? What's happening down there? Well, it's starting to pick up again because it was it stopped for like a year and a half because of the pandemic, which was just the like, what? The, <laughs> what do you mean? Did something happen? <laughs> yeah, this thing that sometimes happens in Mexico, you know, <laughs> in our Latin countries sometimes they have like, you know, dictators. Oh, so that that's why I have fifteen extra pounds. That's what happened in the last year. <laughs> God, it was a pandemic. Cool. It was terrible. So yeah. So uh, how was that? How was that for you? I mean, Mexico City is a is a obviously a metropolitan. It's it's. They, they, I know that there were there were vaccine talks, and Mexico City was actually in in a lot of talks in terms of of getting vaccines and making sure everything was all right. What was it? How was it for you? The experience was it dangerous? Was it? Well, you know what? The first three months, I thought it was like a vacation. And I think a lot of people thought that. And you know how stupid we felt afterwards. It was like, you know, I've been doing theater. I've been doing film. I can take a break for three months. And now you look back at yourself and you're like, oh, my God, poor soul. Poor soul. Like the middle of summer 2020, everyone was like, like wait, <laughs> this isn't going away for a very yeah. long time. And like for our industry, especially like the barometer was sort of for us like Broadway. And yeah. but pre-vaccine, it was like. There's no real plan or, or action to bring Broadway back, which is, you know, thousands of people in the entertainment industry and Broadway, you know, is tours and other. So it was kind of like, well, if Broadway's not coming back, I don't think we're out of this for a little bit. But uh, I think as of like this week, Broadway is finally back after way too fucking long. <laughs> I yeah, know. Really. It must be amazing. It must be so like it feels like going back to normal, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Knowing that Broadway is back. Like if Broadway, Broadway is back, then we're all fine. <laughs> yeah, I've heard yeah. the audiences like it's a lot of tears. 
and the oh. biggest applauses. Like I've heard they're very, very um, emotional shows right now. So and do you people, think, do you think yeah. Adam, that, that if we had a really crappy play that we'd get standing ovations? <laughs> Probably everyone throw up some piece of shit. (laughs) Anything, anything. We're good with anything. (laughs) I think think that happens. I think our standards have, you know, fallen because maybe to be back. Right, right. I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) Um, So, Anna, tell us about your story. Things all began. Were you born in Mexico City? Yes, I was born in Mexico City, and I was studying international relations in uni when I realized that I was. Everything was perfect, like in general, like I loved my degree and I had my friends and I was living on campus and I was partying every day and I still got good grades, but I wasn't happy. And I've always liked um, acting and actors and film and books and fiction in general. But I didn't think that that was a possible career path. Like in Mexico, we don't have, I don't know, like in England where kids learn about Shakespeare when they're five and everyone goes to the theater. And, you know, in, in America, you have Broadway and you have like a massive film industry. Like it's a possibility. And back here, it's just like, you know, there's soap operas, wonderful Mexican soap operas, popular everywhere in the world. I've Telenovela. Telenovelas, of course. <laughs> like, but it's something that, you know, it's just like very perfect and beautiful models do. Like, Mm. It's just like something that normal people don't do. So I never thought it would be a possibility. I don't know. It was weird. You know, it's funny. In, in our in our heads, we I think everybody says, oh, that'd be cool to do, but it's not going to happen. There's no way that something that I want that's so far-fetched is possible. But it's funny when you when you just jump, things kind of begin to take off. So for you, you, you did go to university. You went to London. Did you study in, in London? Yes. I did. I did like an... So when I told my parents I wanted to be an actress... My dad went like, you know, his eye kind of went uh, <laughs> a little. Low. Yeah, because just because, you know, here in Mexico, when you talk about acting, you mostly think of telenovelas. So my dad was, you know, imagining me, me, you know, in a tight dress saying things like, Jose Ricardo Francisco, I am your aunt and your mother and your sister at the same time. Uh, and yes. Like, um, and I said, no, but I want to go overseas. I want to study in London because I want to do theater and I want to, you know, know Shakespeare. Yeah. So first, so my dad, what he said was go to England as an exchange student for your degree. And, you know, you can audition for drama schools. And if you get in, you stay. And if you don't, I mean, he didn't say if. He said, when you don't, <laughs> you oh. can come back and continue your degree. And my dad is amazing and he believes in me. But I think he was just so like, what? Like, what does she mean? She's studying in a great university. She's going to work in the UN or something. I don't know. So she was like, go off, do your thing. When you come back, you can keep going with your life. So I went to UCL. I did a semester in UCL and I flunked everything because I wasn't there to study. I, I didn't care about school. And then I got into Bristol, a big theater school. So I didn't come back. I've heard of that. Yeah. No, I was so <laughs> mom, dad, I got into a prestigious drama school in England and they were both like, what? It's real and now. You were, yeah, they were like, but the only time you've been on stage was when you were 12 and you were in the Beauty and the Beast, like the musical for kids. Mm. What? So what and was going on in your head though? Yeah, I- <laughs> the rose. So what was going on in your head though? I mean, if you if you had Beauty and the Beast and here you are at 18 or 19, how do you how do you justify this huge risk? I don't know. Like, I, was it your heart? Was it just speaking to you? Yeah, it was just like this desire, this wish that I had. And I didn't know anything. Like when I think about my auditions, when I did my auditions for drama school, I was like, what? Like, what was I doing? I had never read a play in my life. I had never read Shakespeare. I had to, you know, prepare a Shakespearean monologue. I did everything you're not supposed to do. Like I picked, I remember for my first audition, I picked Ariel because they told you, you know, pick someone your age, your gender or some, you know, something that's close to you. And I was Ariel from The Tempest. And I was just like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just jumping around saying words and pretending I was a spirit. I don't know. And I chose Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And the people from the panel were like, Martha's like 40. And I was like, 
Yeah, I hadn't even read the play. No, (laughs) oh, (laughs) you're like, wait, what? Just classic, like amateur. I'm just gonna pick this role. I'm just gonna write this monologue and, like, I don't know, just. It was the Google search. Greatest monologue. Greatest monologue. I did. Yeah, that's what I did. That's what I did. I was like monologues for auditions for actors. That's what I did. I yeah. was fearless in a in a kind of not very aware way. I mean, I'm glad now because otherwise I wouldn't have gone. But I didn't know anything. I was just like, I want to be an actress. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. And then I got, I mean, I didn't get in that time, obviously, because the panel were like, have you been to the theater? And I was like, well, I saw The Lion King when I got here. <laughs> A week ago, and they were like, "No, seriously!" <laughs> and I was like, "No, seriously!" My mom took me to see the Lion King. This is a, this was a rada, and they're like, "So Anna, the theater in Mexico." And I was Whoa. like, "No, we don't have that much theater." And they were like, "Well, but you've been here for a couple of weeks. What have you seen?" And I was like, "The Lion King." And they were like, <laughs> "You were like, guys, the animals come through the audience will blow your mind." They're like, "Okay." Yeah, and they thought I was kidding, and I wasn't. And they were like, "Thank you, thank you, Anna, for for being here." I thanks for this, trying. <laughs> yeah, they hand you back your headshot. Yes, you're gonna need this. <laughs> they're like, "No, no, no, no we'll call you." <laughs> exactly. And this was for the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. This was for the Royal. Obviously, I didn't get in. I I got a call back for the foundation. They were like. Mm, your heart's in the right place. Come and audition for the foundation. It's a participation heart. trophy. There you go. You get a ribbon. Isn't that nice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a ribbon and a gold star. Uh, so what made you choose theater in London? Was that just the most the encapsulating of, City of like, as far as acting? theater for you? It was this, I don't know, like some things you know you don't know how you know them, but it was yeah. always like, you know, Shakespeare. I have no idea who Shakespeare was, but it was Shakespeare and London and acting and theater. And I just thought, well, why don't I just go there? <laughs> and you know what? Like if you were kind of weighing the options, should I go here? Should I, for me, I, w- I went to a place that didn't have a lot of an established, whatever, you know, a program or whatever. And sometimes it doesn't matter where you go. You just choose wherever you feel like you should be. And then it's what you do there. And then four years later, that's when things actually start in your career. You know, a lot of people stress, stress, stress about where to go and where's the right place. There's only one right place and I have to pick it. It's like, no, there's like 20 and it's all about what you do there, how many people you meet, what you, how many uh, uh, shows of the Lion King you watch, um, you know, it's just a, it's it just depends on it's determined on what you do where you are, you know. So, so h- how long was that? Was that two or four years? The Bristol was just one year. One year. One year. It was like a, a like a professional acting course for foreigners. Mm. Yeah. So this is where I met beautiful and gorgeous Natasha Beardmore. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. For more than 10, year, 10 years. She had a different last name when you met. When you met. Oh, she, was, she was Natasha Shalom <laughs> at the time. But yeah, so that was, and I think because I looked for acting schools in Mexico and I just wanted a place where I could do everything. And in Mexico, our acting schools aren't that great in the sense that they, well, I went to this audition and I asked the girl who was giving me the tour, I was like, so what's, the acting program like so do you do like a semester of comedy or when do you see film do you do radio and she looked at me with disdain and she was like film radio <laughs> no 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 this Ugh. is like a real acting school we only do theater because we are real actors and i was like what i don't you know the, yeah like this is kind of right like, yeah her. and it's like no, I wouldn't go somewhere where they teach me everything and I can do everything and I can learn everything and I can be a rounded actor. And then I came back and people used to ask me, so what are you, a theater actress or a film actress? And I was like, I'm an actress. I wait, I mean, I want to do everything. I think that's also why I left because I thought, well, clearly they don't take it seriously here. I'm going to look for somewhere where they do. Well, there's yeah, a they- lot of ego, right, in, in certain um, the world's divided of of like acting, right? And what 
it's legitimate. And I mean, what do we see now, Adam? Like when we turn on a, a, a big streaming show, we see huge film actors doing television where 20 years ago, that would have been like, oh, he's doing television. <laughs> I remember back when it was on and it would be so problematic now, but I used to watch Entourage and there's all these jokes of like, you can't go to television. Vinny, if you do television, your career is dead that's where that's where movie stars go to die that would be the saddest thing in the world and then with the advent of you know prestige television on amc and hbo that's what you want to do now because instead of getting something in two hours you as like the lead character like for example brian cranston you can take five seasons to do this huge you know and like there's just so much more depth to it than like a 90 minute, two hour movie, or even if it's like a limited series and you get eight episodes, that's eight fucking Mm -hmm. hours of a Mm -hmm. story and character as opposed to two hours. And I think, uh, you know, it, it wins you awards. It gets great viewership and you as the actor get to do to some degree better, longer work. So it's where everyone's going now, but I'm sure if you're, if you're in LA, they'd go theater. Really? Why? <laughs> no, really? Would they just do it on camera? Yeah, probably. <laughs> wouldn't you think? But how do you make money? How do you, you you could make millions on TV and film? Why are you doing? The, well, but it is, right. it is it is funny. Like the theater people want to do film and TV, and film and TV people want to be legitimized in theater. So it's it's really funny that I see friends of mine who are like doing crazy stuff on stage, and they're like. <laughs> I just want to be on film. I just can't believe I'm not in TV right now. And film and TV actors are like, I just wish I was like respected. I just need to do play. I just need to do something on stage. So nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. But what it is, what it is, is the muscle, the muscle of what, of what's best used. Where are you of best use and where are your, um, where your interests most lie? And of course you can spread yourself across all sorts of mediums. But if you have this thing in your heart where it's like, no, film, TV, film tv i'm i'm intrigued by the mass media aspect i'm i'm intrigued by the syndication um that for me when i saw that i was like dude i want to live forever and 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 be secured in the annals of like archival history and never die because my stuff will be always going and at a, at a deep deep rate when a producer asked me so why do you like um acting i said the long story is i, I can't handle my own mortality so i i have to be forever like <laughs> Um, but but I love it. That's the short answer is I love it. The long answer is I, I'm afraid to die. So um, I'm going to use that in my next edition. <laughs> when they ask me that, I will say I am afraid of my own. I want to live forever. Right, <laughs> right. Well, and, it, oh. and it's what do you do best? And and for you, the type of person you are on it, you, you create your own work. You um, are interested in this medium. And it just so happens that you're at a time technologically where it has never been a better time to jump in something like this. Two, your gender has never been more welcomed. Uh, three, um, not even your gender, but ethnicity and everything. It's like there are no stopping points for people anymore. And anyone who has a, something to say or fell in love with acting at 14 has every right to to be here. And And it's exciting to see someone who's making their own stuff. So when you got out of school and you had to face the reality of it's time to stop talking and start working, what happened in... Where did you go? So after Bristol, I auditioned again for the three-year course at Drama Center, and I got mm. in. In so London? My, in London, yes. I did my degree at the Drama Center, University of the Arts. No longer exists. I don't know if you know this, mm. but it's it's gone. It's It was sad to find out about this. And then and my plan was to stay there and do theater and, you know. And my visa was changed because... The Department of Migration didn't think that acting was a real degree. So a lot of Jesus Christ, how many parents were on that? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But this was what we were told. It was like you, your degree doesn't give anything back, I guess. So doctors, lawyers, people in finance were allowed to stay. I mean, talking about international students. But artists, we were sent back. It was like... So I had I was supposed to have a two year work visa and one month before I graduated, they were like, actually, no, you need to leave as soon as your student visa expires. So I did. 
Because <laughs> acting is not a real job. Acting's not a real job. Singing Be a sad oh, what, did you, what did you all do during the fucking during the pandemic? pandemic. Right, exactly. Netflix, bitch. You watched us. I would love us. to talk to that woman. <laughs> you binge. What shows got you through the pandemic, you fucking What assholes? saved your marriage, friend? <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. Exactly. That's what I could tell them now, but, you know. So I had to come back and start from zero, and it was really hard. And I remember we had this professional prep um, class in school in our third year, and our teacher was like, most of you are not going to have a professional job before two years. Um, like 75% of you will never act. It's actually true. It is. But at the time, it was like, no, we're all going to be stars. Because you get into drama school thinking. Oh, yeah. I'm the one. I'm the chosen one. I'm the one. And I will go on, (laughs) you know. I'm going to put this school on the map because I went here. Exactly. So everyone was like, whatever. And of course, I spent two years trying to find a job trying to make myself known because I've been away for five years. No one knew who I was. No one cared. It was, it was difficult. Mm. I saw a lot of Netflix at the time. So, you know, there's shows that saved me. I got few showers. I cried yeah. lots of tears because it was just, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know anyone. I had a couple of friends who were actors. And what I did was with one of those friends who wasn't working either. So my tragedy was not like, is every actor's tragedy when they begin, maybe, you know, like no one knows who you are and no one cares. Mm. So one friend, I told him I saw this play in Edinburgh when I was living there. It was a comedy called Dirty Great Love Story. And it was two actors playing six roles. It was in rhyme and it was just really fun. It went, it did really well in Edinburgh. And I said, why don't we, I don't know, Mexicanize it and put it on. And that's what we did. We translated it, adapted it found a theater that was new. So it was a new theater and they didn't have anyone who wanted to be there. And we said, we want to. And they were like, go ahead. I mean, what can go wrong? And it actually went really, really well. We found a producer who liked the show and it just, it went so well. We had, we were on for four years. Whoa. From, from there, jobs just started. I thought that yeah. second word was going to be me. Weeks or months? No. Holy shit! Right. Four years. I mean, it ran on Wednesdays for uh, it ran, August, and that was it. <laughs> we had we had one year that ran from February to November, and the other years we had like twelve shows, and then a little break, and then twelve more shows, and it went really, really well. And oh my gosh. I love. I mean, I love that story because when we started doing it, a lot of people were like, "Who are you? you no, know, who cares? Why do you think?" We, we had a, like a little press conference. We sent out invitations to like the press, the theater press in Mexico. And we were really proud. Five people showed up. Aww. And one of the That's questions- That's twice more than I thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It was, I mean, we were just happy to have people there. But one of the questions was, why are going to people come and see you? Like, who are you? You've never done anything. We have respected and established act- like theater actors in this city. Why would anyone want to see this? Why do you think that a comedy that rhymes? They were really nasty. I mean, How supportive. Like, That's yeah. really lovely. Jesus. Um, I don't even remember who they were because I would love to tell them now, like, see? By the way, yeah, right. You motherfucker. Mm? But you know, that that is one of the great gifts is those those people saying, what about you? What they are is personified resistance. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really do get those like tests, especially in the beginning where it's like sorry we, we can't hire you we're full up for your side job or or sorry you're not in you can't be admitted into this year's class or what about you makes you think that you belong here and it's just really like literal like personified resistance uh yep. stopping you from realizing that you can do this and and the real test is can you just push that aside, continue on, and then realize 10 years later that like all that stuff was just BS. It was just people who were cynical and angry and, and they wanted to test me and hold me down. But Absolutely. you know, you, you, you were victorious and all it was was your audacity to say, um, I don't know, but I think that I belong here. So I'm going to just do it. And we, and it, it was, it was so much fun, right? I mean, rewriting, we kind of rewrote the play to make it Mexican because lots of things that happened and they were too English. There was this one bit where the 
lead uh, guy and girl got into a fight over croissants. And we were like, no, that doesn't happen here. Right. Mexicans get get into fights for more intense things than croissants. But I mean, it was (laughs) And from there on, I also did a short film with a friend that I met in England, another Mexican studying in England. And that short did so well, it went to many festivals. And from there, a director saw me and he was like, I want to in my play. So basically my journey has been do your own thing and do it with all your heart and against all odds and things will happen because there will be people who like what you do. And that's how we've built my career, basically. Just saying, well, no one wants me. I want myself and I'm going to do ah, parts. Beautiful. I'm going to do my own little short film, you know. Because yeah, it's... My can't imagine like being in that predicament where you have what five four five years worth of london theater training you know you come back with this full toolbox but you're forced to go back to mexico and because of visas and things you can't just willy-nilly go to New York or go to LA and start working or living. So it's like, okay, I have all this stuff and I was going to do things in England and now I'm forced to go back home where there's not a huge market for what I want to do. And I can't really go anywhere else. And it's like, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And you said, well, let's make my own stuff and move for, and you know, so many people wouldn't have had, the wherewithal or the motivation to do that much work to get started because there wasn't a whole lot of other choice. So my God, hats off to you for getting it going. I admire that too. Yeah. I admire your, your, um, your drive and you had every reason to just say, well, I guess I'm just going to go into like business and whatever, because from the get go, it was just London. Like what? From your parents, from, from, all these people, all that resistance, but you didn't give a shit. And I love what you said. It was like, well, you don't want me, but I want yeah. me. But I do. I respect myself it. enough to honor in my heart and what I want in life. You know. So, so tell me, um, as as things things were obviously difficult, and and there were times of struggle, like anybody, I'm sure. But um, talk about talk about how things kind of started to work out. You're walking into rooms. You're booking a few roles. Um, it's less resistance and more settling into that feeling of, yeah, things come when they do. How did it start where you started to like legitimize yourself in the business? That was with theater because here it's it's difficult to get into film and TV. Like we don't have this culture of agents who find you as a mm-hmm. raw, you know, like a di- raw diamond. And they want to build your career with you. It tends to be more, you're famous already. Okay, I will take you. Mm. That kind of thing. There's and not a lot of development. No. Talent, not, right. Not and there are no auditions for theater here, almost. I mean, it's very rare that you audition for theater. It's mostly people seeing you already doing theater or friends who audition you in like a, you know, like two, three friends that you want to see for your play and then you just choose one. Mm. And so I, we did this play, lots of people came to see it and then with another friend the one that I did my short film with we said let's do a play let's buy the rights for something so we bought the rights for Duncan Macmillan's Lungs took us those two years to find someone who wanted to direct us to find a theater we had to borrow money from our from our parents like mom can I have 25,000 pesos to put on my play and my parents were like yes of course you're an only child you can have anything (laughs) Yeah. Uh. <laughs> we put that on as well and people went to see it I mean not that many people uh, there was this one time I went down to the um, how do you say where you pick up your tickets the box the, office yeah the, bo- the box office that's it my English is terrible because I don't speak anymore we went, I went to the box office and there were four women who were asking so what's on and the guy at the, the box office was saying well we have this play and this play and they asked about lungs and one of the women was like, but who's in it? And the guy said, well, these two actors called Ana Gonzalez Bello and Roberto Cavazos, who are they? Are they on TV? Are they famous? And the box office guy was like, no, I, I don't know. And they were like, well, if they're not famous, we don't want to see them. And I was there like, 
Oh, okay. God. My heart broke. I went back upstairs. Anyway, people came to see our plays. And then I started getting called to audition for theater. Like, you know, these kind of friendly auditions where you call three people or two people that you like. And I started getting roles in theater. It's amazing when you just start to throw yourself out there. You wonder like, well, how did it start? Where did it go? It's like, well, I started this really like small thing. I started to crawl before I walked and people were yeah. me, seeing me crawl and they thought I could walk. And yeah, you, you exactly. it is a small town no matter where you are. New York is a small town. LA is a small town. The theater world is a small town and, and talent is needed. And so when someone puts something up, you're now a new face and maybe five people see you, maybe one person sees you, but chances are there might be something that comes from that, whether it's directly where somebody saw you and they want you on, or it's the experience that now for the next job, it's, it's easier. It's more familiar. You're going to be a better actor in the next thing. It's, you have to start somewhere. You have to start with five people in the audience. And for me in Chicago with improv, how many nights where I did bar prov and I was doing 30 minute shows where three people were in the audience drinking PBRs, talking to each other and nobody was paying attention. And you know what? I learned how to get attention. I learned how to think on my feet and be present, even though no one was listening. And it's those experiences like you had those five people, that woman in the line saying, well, is she famous? No, I don't want to. Yeah. You have to struggle through that in order to be grateful for the next step when you're there to mm -hmm. handle the responsibility. And when those people are lining up to see you, it's a lot sweeter because they didn't. There was it, a time when they didn't. It is. And it's, it's hard. I mean, I was listening to you guys talking about rejection. And it's just like one of the things that we all have to learn to live with and not even not just live with, but use it as fuel for going on. because. Yeah. You know, people won't think twice about insulting you, even if they don't know you. It's just this kind of like, who are you? We don't care about you. And it's not personal. It is not. It's just, no. We, I don't know. It's, yeah. And, you know, this thing of doing a show with four people and feeling like you want to die. And, you know, your heart's breaking, thinking, is this me? No one wants to see me because am I terrible? Am I not interesting enough? And just knowing that it's not you. It's just how it starts i guess yeah it's so well, and, heartbreaking and, 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 in theater because you spend so long on it, it is. right you know like the rehearsal process you you know it's just it's such a labor intensive thing that you've poured so much time and energy into and when nobody comes to see the fruits of your labor after months it's like why you know it's really yeah. hard. Not only that, but the years of training. I mean, all those years where you're just like, dude, I spent so much time. And and even after all that, I have this degree and still nobody thinks that I'm, I should be here. It's like, oh God, what was I doing? But for some reason, you know, I think it's when you knock, 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 and the door never opens and you knock, 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 the door is shut in your face, knock, 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 leave. You don't belong here. It's sort of like in Fight Club. Remember when he's knocking and he, they say, get out of here. You don't belong here. And he does it 10 times in that montage. And then at the end, when he's been there for long enough, he says, you have black socks? Yes. Black shoes? Yeah. Get in. And he gets in, right? And it's so sweet because he he was there for day in, day out, stood there, never busted, never moved. And this this is the equivalent where- All he wanted to do is be a terrorist. I know. <laughs> God bless him. And he got it. Working actors deserve affordable and convenient coaching. That's why we created Book It, America's fastest growing one-on-one -on -one remote acting coach service. All from your device. We're not just coaches, we're working actors too. From Broadway and voiceover animation to TV, film, and commercial. Real actor coaching from real actors. Catered especially to you and your path. Anytime, anywhere. We're here to train you, to guide you, to prepare you to book it. For more information, visit workingactorpro.com slash book it. So Anna, how then, where did the, the transition into really doing on screen for you or on camera come for you? You start um, booking some theater stuff. I did. So I did a lot of plays in those two first years. Suddenly I was the queen of Mexican theater and I was in everything. Look My at friends, you. Ah. Like you again, 
like I would be in three plays at the same theater, like on different nights. Now, in a, now just hold oh on God. for anyone listening. It's like she went from, from who the <laughs> hell is this? Get out of our town to queen of theater like but in the, the space what you gave up in the I space of two three years it didn't happen overnight i mean it took me remember i was like not showering for two years and depressed in my room knocking on doors and trying to figure out how it worked and then it started happening uh-huh. little by little and suddenly at some point i was in like five plays at the same time wow it was great i mean it doesn't happen anymore because that's the nature of our business. Sometimes you are like the queen of theater in Mexico and the next, you know, you're not doing theater at all. Or not I wish anything. I could be the queen of theater in Mexico. <laughs> you can't yeah. because I am. Damn it. Uh, my crown and no one will take it away from me. <laughs> so you're, while you're, you're royalty, are you getting auditions for, for on-camera stuff then? Yes, I started getting auditions for camera because I got an agent so a guy called me saying he was an agent. Um, oh God, he, I'm not going to name Heard this before. Because we don't know if any Mexicans are going to listen to this. But this guy who said he had seen me in theater, which he hadn't, he just heard that I was the new popular thing in the Mexican theater scene. And he sent me to a few auditions for characters that weren't my age and he said to me that the most important thing was that I got fit because I need I needed to lose weight because I could be, um, he said to me, what did he say? There's, there's this amazing, uh, gorgeous Mexican actress called Carla Sosa, and she's very famous. And he was like, you could be the next Carla Sosa, but you need to lose a couple of pounds. And I was like, what? Oh, God. Totally. <clears throat> this sounds great. So you're still with them, I'm sure, huh? Of yeah. course, of course. <laughs> and I was like, what are you? I was like, no, like I'm I'm thin. I do a lot of sports. I've always liked sports. I've done martial arts for years. But what you mean is you want me to be like really, really skinny so you can put me up for roles that show my body? I don't I don't get it. So I left him. And then I got another agent. And then I started auditioning for or roles in TV. I didn't get anything. I mean, I got you know, my CV says um, Narcos Mexico. I was like Diego Luna's secretary in one scene. And then I got Mike Wasowski. So I'm not, uh, you know, uh, this business is just appearance. I love no, it, that reference. It really is. It really Hang on, is we, we're not going to skip over that Mike no, Wazowski reference. That is lovely. I'm on the cover of a magazine. And it's the barcode over his face. Oh, I love you. Like, and, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, very good with social media. I should be because it's part of her job, I guess. But at the time, my mom was like, you need to talk about this on social media. You need to put up pictures on your Instagram and say that you're going to be in Narcos. So I put up my picture with my, you know, I'm looking very 70s or 80s because that's where the, you know, the time where it was set. And I, you know, I was posting pictures and saying, Narcos Mexico, coming soon. I will be there. Episode 8. And then the thing comes that comes out, and my dad texts me like, "I'm watching Narcos. I'm so excited." Oh, I, I've been. Oh my god, yeah. Well, all the family and friends, and they're like, "I'm watching," and you're like, "Just so you know, I'm, it's not yeah. a lot." Just so. You... Yeah, it was like. And then at the know. end, they're like, "What the hell? Where were you?" It's like I fuck. I told you, don't even watch it. That's exactly what my dad was like. I can't find you, and I was like, "I'm there." I'm. Yeah, he he blinked. <laughs> I'm like I'm Felix's secretary, so I come in and I tell him that he has a call. And then my dad was like, uh, no. And I was like, no, yes, yes, I am. And then he sends me this picture where you can see Diego Luna from the side on the phone. And in the back, you can see a blur, <laughs> a purple blur, because my my top was purple. And that was, <laughs> and that's it. Well, I, I, have to, I have to say, like, there are probably three or four pretty big, like, I'd say these are, these are high watermark credits, but in fact... It's less than three lines each. I've probably, in the biggest things I've gotten, X amount of dollars, it's from like one line. And then you do like an indie where it's like you're on 95 pages yes. <laughs> and, and you're making like 100 bucks, 150 bucks. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes it's just the, the association with the credit, the IMDB credit, just that little thumbnail under your thing adds a little bit of credibility. And yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're blurred, you were there, you were on set, and got your reps. Very, you know, it was very well paid. You know, yes. that's, 
one day of waiting eight hours and yeah. then doing 15 seconds with Diego Luna uh, mm. and then not appearing because I was blurred. And I, I, I love these stories because I think it's just part of the journey. Yeah. You, and that was the day you learned to ask the DP, am I in focus? <laughs> I need to be in focus. The one against uh, no, we're on, uh, we're on Diego. <laughs> but are you going to like rack the camera to me? No, sure. I noticed I'm dirty in a lot of these shots. <laughs> uh, no, Am I sharp? Am I sharp? <laughs> Can you see this? All soft sticks? A little bit of soft sticks? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's okay, happened so, lots because and, that's, that's, that's how you start doing yeah. tiny, tiny roles here and there. And at first, of course, I was like, I'm never going to be the lead. You know, it's so, it feels sometimes so unattainable. Yeah. Like, how yeah. do you go from being Mike Wasowski <laughs> in Narcos, Mexico? To I just being love that you're fucking keep referencing that. <laughs> oh, it's my so God. perfect, though. It's so perfect. I will send you the picture. Tommy, later. do you even know oh. what we're talking about? Yes, it's a movie. I know there's a barcode in front of his face and he gets blocked <laughs> off. He's supposed to be there, but he's not there. What's, what's the movie? Monsters. Incorporated. Monsters. Oh, Inc. okay. Yeah. Okay. You know I have little about. brothers and sisters. I know what this is. I get, <laughs> okay. it. I get it. But isn't that so, isn't that so funny? Um, you think when you're on set sometimes, and I see this in like TV shows and movies and I always go, oh, I feel so bad for them. You think, oh, there's a camera on me. You can see all of me when in fact you may not realize about lenses yeah. where the focus right. is on whoever's in the foreground and you're way in the back and you're like, yeah, the camera's there. I walk on, I have my line. I and then I walk off. I was just on camera. I'm going to be on TV when in fact <laughs> they want to make it a really dramatic thing where the focus is on the lead and you just come right. in and they're like, yeah, fuck off. And like you go, and it's like you were, ne they never even racked focus to, but you don't know that. And it's important though. It's important as an and actor you in movies. And I'm like, oh, that person who had their, <laughs> their with, with whoever. Yeah. And they, they weren't yes. even in focus. I feel so bad. And they were probably so to be on screen with Meryl Streep. And yeah. you're, you're just, you're soft in the back. Yeah. yeah you just put down the bread plate and, and the camera <laughs> never left Meryl. I'm so sorry. That, that was going to be that was the, the most like, important day. Of life. That person must have thought that the camera was on them, and they're just like, it's just their back. You think about uh, that, and, and the people like in the background. I always look at everyone to see. Now that I work in film, yeah, I always like to look at the extras, um, just to be like, are they engaged or are they laughing because they don't like to be there? You know that kind of thing. Yeah, you only think about when you're an actor and you've been there. You know, you know, having that awareness of the camera. And this is why it's so important that actors somehow get a PA job, somehow live in video village doing something as an assistant or whatever, because when you see that monitor and you see everything out of focus and you see the limited availability of that frame where the world is kind of as an actor on set where the camera isn't on you, you know what is seen, you know, you can you have that. I guess what I'm saying is when you don't have that awareness you can get really into your head thinking that everyone's watching you when in fact it's not even about you and the, the character's way over there and you can just do your thing and whatever you're doing in the scene totally free and 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 casual and without any because you know the st structure of how this is being shot and who's being shown and and how much in focus you are if i'm in the background i used to like oh my god i screwed up the little walk thing it's like dude you were a minuscule in the back no one even knows that you're a person you're a blob it's okay so it is really important to like to 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 know the language of film the script supervisor didn't even clock you in the shot right right you could go to the bathroom we could do the shot again nobody would miss you so well, it's fine it is, it is your shot but you don't know anything about like how far away you are i've done things where i'm giving it my all and i'm there destroyed you know all my energies like yeah and they're like cool well, now let's go to your close-up. <laughs> and it's like, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, this was just you, like in a really, really wide shot at the end of the you're field. Right. And you're yeah. like, 
Oh, fuck. <laughs> and now, you know, once you have that awareness, now the next job you have, like if there's really high emotional things, I will I will try to taper and pace myself from those those wides and then we're punching in. Yeah. If there's somebody who has higher emotion than me, they're probably going to go first because that's the bigger stuff that we got to get. And there's the kind of a, a a structure of how things go. It's with your DP and the director, but knowing like though that's like a classic. Anna, we're 50 yards away. Time. You don't have to cry <laughs> in this one. You don't have to cry. We're gonna punch exactly. in later. You're, exactly. There's snot coming everywhere out of your nose. We can't even see you. Hold it. Put a cork up there. That's exactly what happened. Yes. And you learn yeah, to communicate as well. Because I think the first time I was on set, I was just like, you know, I was so humbled. And I was like, oh, God, I can't say anything. No one must know that I don't know anything. You're like and this now, the whole time. No, I thank you. No, thank you. You guys are the stars. Exactly. And now I'm confident enough to ask the DP or the director, what can you see? Right. Can you see right. everything or is this my my close up? You know, not, not I know the lingo, and I feel like, is this my wide or my close up? Or right. my medium American. You know, you feel more comfortable. Yeah, and you're a better. Well, actor, you know what you know? to give too. Not that you don't right. want to like slack off and give shit, but like, are we like close on me, or can I kind of market to a certain degree? You know, and those are good questions to ask with. Um, A and B camera and the DP and all of that, you know, like, what are we, what's this setup and what should I, you know, be prepared. So with Narcos on your resume, even though you were, you know, in the background to some degree, did that pretty fucking legitimate credit kind of push you forward then with more auditions or anything, or did that help you out at all? No, no, no. No, because I wasn't, I mean, people in the business know, you know, when it's just a little tiny part. But my, I mean, my agent at the time, I did like 500, 800 auditions. I, I was, every day I was doing stuff. I didn't get most of it, any, just one maybe. Right. And I did, I got this part in the YouTube premium, the first show, like Latin American show for YouTube premium, which was called Sobrevivir. Mm. And that was, I mean, I, I, I have fond memories of that project because that was the first audition where I felt like I was having lots of fun and that the people who were auditioning me were having fun as well and that they really wanted me to, to succeed. Like what sometimes happens is that, I don't know if this probably happens to you guys, but you feel like they already know who they want and they're auditioning people just to kind of, you know, I don't know. I mean, it happens here a lot that sometimes I think, why am I auditioning? I know because I know these people. I know who the lead is going to be. They don't care if I'm good. They just want the person who has 5 million followers. I know this. And that was the first audition where the director and the lead, um, the lead female, they were there and they were like, this is working so well. And they, you know, I was there for like an hour and a half. And then I got the part and the director called me in and he was like, we love you. The thing is, you don't look older than the lead protagonist. And we need you to look older than her because the story is about these two women. And she's the old, I mean, my character was the older one. She had a kid. And he was like, you look very, very young. Are you willing to let us cut your hair and like make you look older? And I was like, yes, yes. Do whatever you want to me. I was going to say, you should have been like, there's a hair and makeup department yeah, I was for like, just this scenario. <laughs> Exactly. And then the, the makeup guy was told, like, she can't look younger. You need to do things to her face to make her look older. <laughs> but, I mean, it didn't go well. That show wasn't popular at all. It didn't go well at all. But it made me feel like, okay, so there is a chance. So there, I mean, there is a, a path for people who are not already well-known, who are not already famous. Some people are looking for, you know, talented, committed actors who can play this part mm. and I thought that was kind of like a, okay so it's not as impossible as I thought it would be because at some point I thought I'm never getting parts because I'm not famous already because I'm not I don't have thousands of followers I mean, what's wrong with me and at that audition I realized well it's not personal you know right. sometimes you will find someone who says you were not what I was expecting but I do want you and they will give you a chance 
So, mm. and sometimes the reasons they don't give you a job is something that's utterly out of your control. Yeah, and that's just yeah, the way like you were, yeah. you were saying in the podcast. Sometimes your your skin color is too similar to the protagonists, or you know, you look too old to be the love interest. Love interest, which has happened to me as well. That I've seen the guy that yeah. I'm doing my callback with, like the chemistry read. And looking at the guy, I'm like, I'm not getting this part because I look like his mother. <laughs> not because I'm not good for the part. This is my final callback. But now that I see him, he looks 15. And I look ah, right. And that's not the point of this show. So I've learned that. That it's not Yeah, I mean you have to learn it. You you because you can't hold your happiness to something like this. It's just you, you learned as an act of survival to audition, forget about it. And the only time that you're going to ever even ask or talk about the audition you had yesterday is if there's a call coming in that says you got it yeah. because you're already past it and you're on your way to something else. You know, Yeah. you have to, that's the only way it's, Otherwise you suffer. can't just, yeah. Yesterday, totally. Tommy was asking me about auditions and I was like, yeah, I had two. Le- I honestly don't remember what they are. I was like, I know I had two auditions last week. Don't even remember what they were. <laughs> I just me neither. I couldn't care less. I'm done. I throw the sides away. But how funny would it have been like on Tuesday, I get a call from my manager and I'm like, for what? Oh, <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. I have to, <laughs> like, yeah, I have to go back to breakdowns and read it. Cause I, I literally forget the audition, forget everything. I have, I am so concreted in that belief of just like, once you hit submit, it's done. That's mm-hmm. your job. That was, that was my job today. And that's it. A gaffer I worked with on. A gaffer I worked with on Gotham posted a picture yesterday on social media and I was like of the, um, the clapboard. And I was like, why does that title look so (laughs) familiar? And he was like, Hey, day one. And the DP I knew from Gotham. And I was like, why? And I went through my emails. I was like, Oh, right. I auditioned for that in like June. Oh, that was fuck. I wish I was with Frank and Chris right now. That would be so fun. But I was like, why the fuck does that look familiar? Oh, right. I auditioned for that. Yeah. I just forget about it. And so how then did, uh, go go ahead, Tommy. Well, Anna, I'd love to hear about well, how, the creating. Yeah, um, <laughs> what what about creating your own work? Um, that's a whole other beast in and of itself. Uh, in terms of trying to get out there and getting the exposure, and you you did at one point um, write a play that got some eyes on it. I did. Talk I, to us about that. So I'm very lucky because I found a creative team. And it's so much better to navigate this valley of tears when you're not alone. Mm. This is also what I've learned. Valley of tears! <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, there's also joy in the valley of tears. But, you know, there's lots of tears. And there's lots of, you know, sometimes you know that you're not alone because there's thousands of actors feeling the same way you do. But still, you feel like your pain is just like no one knows what it feels like to be in your shoes. And I'm very lucky because I met this girl called Paula Celaya, who's working in she was part of the producing company that produced our play dirty great love story and at the time she was working in the production department but she really is a director and a playwright and a screenwriter and she was starting off as well so we became friends and then she wrote her first play and she asked me to be in it and so we went to vancouver to the vancouver fringe festival and it was great. Like the play did so well and we had like awards and great reviews. And then we came back, we applied for a grant, we got it. So we put on the play here as well. And that was another success that this is back when I was the queen of theater in Mexico. And then Paula's career started to take off and mine was kind of there. And then we realized we had so much in common and we wanted to do the same things uh, in terms of, we wanted to see things that, aren't on here like we were just like why doesn't anyone write about this and we want to see this kind of characters and we want to write women like this and we want to you know so we became friends and we started writing together so we've written we wrote a play a monologue that we took to new york and we put on here as well and it went really well and we've written 
I mean, I wrote my my BBC play. This was a radio play, the one that I got the Georgie Markov Award for. This was before Paula. And Diablo and Romina, right? Diablo and Romina. But nothing happened with it because it was a radio play. We don't have radio in Mexico like that. So there's nowhere to put a radio play. So that's kind <laughs> of right. But it helped my CV saying, you know, I wrote a play. Absolutely. For the BBC. And basically with Paula, she's my creative partner. And most things that I've done have been with her because we suffer together and we also get past the suffering together. We eat lots of sushi and drink lots of coffee and drink lots of wine. But we've got um, grants for writing um, um, a TV show, which we, I mean, we, it's in development, well, not development, but a producer has it now and we're waiting to hear back. A lot of this this uh, job is waiting to hear back from, as you know. Mm. But that's so. That's basically my what I do. I have my creative team. We have written TV shows and movies, and we're moving them around. Nothing has happened yet, but it must at some point. And theater as well. We write together. We try to find homes for everything that we write, and that's what we that's what we do. And if you if you do it alone, good luck. That's all I say. I mean, the only reason I've done anything remotely cool are are the people that I'm I'm surrounded with. I mean, we all pull together to help each other on things. And that's trail of tears. You couldn't be more right. You need a, a, a community or at least a sister or a brother through struggle to um to just not feel alone. And and part of this podcast is literally the audience is like, I'm screwing up. I don't belong in this business. Um, I'm terrible. And every episode is about how the guest went through that exact same thing. And it's something universal about a human being's attachment to another person who's going through the same thing, or at least went through the same thing. It erases all anxiety. It takes down all fear because the turmoil that you're living in is the turmoil that's so familiar with everybody that came before you. And when we realize that, I mean, for me, I realized that halfway through my first 10 years. So anything bad that happened to me, I looked at it as with eyes from the future. You know how in hindsight, we look back at the struggle and say, oh, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of poetic, yeah, kind of romantic. <laughs> and that's what you need to do in the middle of the shit is to yeah. look at things with future eyes, with your eyes from, from, with yourself from from in the future and look at it in hindsight and and find the romance and poetry in the struggle and that it's so necessary in order for you to be responsible for this for the success that you're going to have you're on these huge sets with a lot of money there's no room for ego there's no room for anxiety or fears you have to na nail that down during the struggling years you know and and it is a process where it's just like one two, one step ahead and two steps back kind of thing. But that's the way that it weeds out the people who are there for the wrong reasons. And, I think you have to learn and if to you're there for the right reasons, you're going to get through it. Yes, you do. And I think you have to learn to enjoy it as well. Like even in the pain and the tears, sometimes when Paula and I are drinking wine and, and thinking, you know, why are these people who are producing terrible films, getting all the money while we're trying to sell a script that we have been working on for years and it's really <laughs> well written. And then we, you know, but there's still joy kind yes. of. Well, but one day when we are talking to Graham Norton or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, we are yes! receiving our Oscar or receiving our prizes. There's also kind of like this. Yeah. Okay, not yet, but, but soon. And meanwhile, it's, it's, it's all worth it. I think. If yeah. This is, passion, this is what you love to do, which it is what I love to do. And I, I mean, I I am truly passionate about what I do, and I feel so fortunate that I can do it because I know lots of people who who couldn't pursue this career because their parents wouldn't let them, or because they were too afraid, or they gave up because they couldn't deal with the uncertainty of not having a steady income. And I'm like, what's a steady income? Um, so I feel <laughs> what's lucky. an income? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's Sorry, that? we're we're institutionalized in uncertainty. So I, that's all I I expect the unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that's certain is my, the uncertainty of today and tomorrow. So yeah, you just have to learn to love it. You know. Um, now before we let you go on it, there's a lot of people listening that might be ten years behind you, five years behind you. Um, what are you going to say to those people who are up and coming or just starting out? What worked for you? Um, what should they avoid? Any advice for them? Um, oh my goodness. 
Um, it's a heavy question, I know. It is. And I I don't want to be corny, but but there is this element of, of your of following your dreams and working hard to get them. I you know, you were saying about hindsight, and I look back and I'm like, I work, I am a working actress. I've done I mean, after the whole Mike Wasowski and the tiny little parts that I had, I finally got a big my big break in the club in Netflix. Mm. And that wasn't the end of the journey. Like I maybe what I would like to say is hold on to the things that make you happy, but let them go lightly. So my friend says, hold on, let go lightly. Because hmm. what I mean to say is when I got the part in the club, a part of me was like, this, this is it. This is it. My big break. I'm from here on. Everything is going to be different. I'm going to be famous, rich, well-known. And of course, that I mean, it didn't happen. It, it, was, it went really, really well. It gave me some recognition. It gave me followers on Instagram, which is very important <laughs> over here. But, but that was it. Like, the journey didn't end there. Then I was unemployed for a year and a half. And then the pandemic. I mean... So what, what I mean to say is that you have to enjoy every part of the journey and really, really enjoy when you get amazing parts and, you know, suffer when you don't get the parts, but let it go. Like, don't get stuck, neither in your success or in your the failure. Hmm. And, and I also see that your, your um, consistency, the main consistent thing in your life has been owning your truth and not listening to any outside influence yes. you had i don't know what was in you but it's in anyone who really has gone through this business more than 10 years with any relative success is you just didn't listen to them all these naysayers who said it's not possible your heart was louder than their voices and i think that's really essential you know where would you be if you listened to those naysayers the people that didn't believe or those people who basically it was it was all fueled by jealousy and the fact that people are upset that they didn't go after their dreams. A lot of people are really upset. And if anyone is a, a dad or like a somebody who's saying, you know, good luck and act, I don't know if I would everybody wants to do something cool yes. and and accomplish great things. And if anyone says you can't do it, it's literally just like you said, the fuel to just keep going. Prove them all wrong, you know? Yeah. And to also know that a lot of people are afraid of new things. So what I find working here in Mexico is that people tend to to try to like not let go of the things that they know work. So for example, in Mexico the 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 more the films that are the most made are rom-coms. And most of them are really bad. Like there's some good and there's some great actors in them, but most of them are really bad. And when we talk to producers to say we have something that's, it's a rom-com, but it's a little bit different. No one wants to do them because they're afraid, but that's not, that's not something that should stop you. Or if we wrote something about where a lead character is a woman in her 40s instead of a beautiful 25-year-old, some people will go, no, no, because we need the gorgeous, beautiful 25-year-old who will show a little bit of skin because that brings... The audiences or we pitch this show and we say but we don't want the usual actors who are famous and not very good they'll be like no 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 we need the one star even if they're crap actors but we need them people are just afraid of doing things differently because you know i mean fear is legitimate i guess because there's so a much lot of money involved you know you want to stay involved. with the thing that works it's hard to be risky exactly but you should i mean for the people who are starting out i would say don't be afraid afraid to take risks. Sometimes you will fall flat on your face, but sometimes you will find people who think the way you think. So the last show that I did after my two years of not working, I got into this show, like this comedy show with an amazing part that I can't talk about because as you were saying, you signed the non-disclosure. Can't talk about it. And you yeah. can't do the but the, the people who were doing this project are a smaller company and the director and the producers were like, let's not do what they what people always do. Let's not go for the 7 million followers on Instagram and let's find great comedic actors. So they put together a cast um, of mostly theater actors. And we talked about this on set. We were like, we can't believe we're here. We are like the leads, the two leads of the show are people who come from theater, who have been working and struggling like the rest of us. And one day they just... They are the leads. 
and it's a great show and they'll probably get lots of work after that. And we were just thinking, we finally found the people who were willing to take the risks and who believe in doing different things that are good instead of going for the same. So mm. risk-taking and yep. deep breathing <laughs> <laughs> and hoping. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Where can where can people find you online, Anna? I am on Instagram. Sometimes I post like once every two months, but I will try to be better at that. Um, my Instagram is at Ana Gonzalez B. B E. B E. B E. Yeah. Got it. Joe, because I lovely. There wasn't enough space for my for my full name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ana Gonzalez B. Yeah. So All right, Alan Gonzalez Bay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. We thank both you. admire you so much for um, your work ethic and just where you're headed. I think there's a lot of things to hope for. Um, it's, it's been wonderful catching up and hearing your story. Thank you, guys. And thank you for doing this. I think lots of actors need to hear these things over and over again. And listening to other people's journeys always helps to put things in perspective. Oh, yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thanks Thank again. Thank you Anna. so much for joining us. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Kisses to Natasha. Natasha Beard. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I j- um, stuff like that. I, you know, you, I, I've it. had friends here in New York who have had to, uh, as artists, as actors, filmmakers, whatever, had to deal with all the visa stuff, and I know how immensely stressful <laughs> that is and i've seen it firsthand many times and my heart always goes out to them and i think jesus just because i was born here gives me i know so much less anxiety about existing somewhere you know what i mean no i know we take and, it for granted so much and uh, oh my gosh so to you know And that's, they're working here and it's like, no, no, I want to continue here. Please don't force me to go back home where maybe there's not a market like there is here for filmmaking or acting or whatever. So I can't imagine, you know, being somewhere, having all that uh, education. And, you know, like we said earlier, when you're done with education, you just have that fucking fire in you and you're like, I'm hot shit and let's do this and let's go. And then just be immediately pulled back home where you're kind of going there's nothing here you you must feel like you're on an island and it's like how do i get out of this it's so, already hard enough man it's already yes, hard yes so without, hard for the people who are so visas. privileged yeah yeah when i when i go home to ireland and i i've gone to like little theaters and and some festivals and stuff and actors are like oh there's an american from the big question is like how do I get out of here in order to work there? Cause like we can't work here. And once I started talking to, I was like, wow, I am really, really lucky. I live in a country that has this booming industry. And in some places, even, even Ireland, UK, well, I shouldn't say the UK in Ireland, it's really tough to, to um get started. I mean, you can't just come to America, the visas, the, the immigration, the long, the paper trail of stuff that you have to do. Um, I mean, I admire anyone who can withstand the pressures of this business, but that's a whole other story with her, you know, yeah. and she made it happen. And I just can't respect her enough. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for her. That was a good one. It was a Alrighty, good one. You can, All uh, right. you can find out more about Before the Break and how to become a working actor at workingactorpro.com. Follow us on Instagram at Before the Break Pod and Working Actor Pro. You can check out my stuff at adamdecarlo.com. You can follow me at that Adam DeCarlo. You can check out Tommy's stuff at tommybeardmore.com. And if, if you want, Follow him at Tommy Beyond. Don't forget to hit subscribe. <laughs> Don't forget to hit subscribe. Leave a rating and write a review if you like what you hear. Check back next week for an all new episode with an all new guest. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We love you. Bye, Adam. Bye, Tommy. You've been listening to Before the Break. The hosts are Tommy Beardmore and Adam DiCarlo. Cover art by Amanda June Boucher. Music by Benjamin Sterley. Before the Break is recorded live from Los Angeles and New York City.